Tommy. Hello. Hello, Tommy. That sounds a lot better. Sound better yeah. on my end? Yeah, perfect. All right, cool, man. Well, what's going on, Billy, man? How you how you doing, bro? I'm doing good, man. I am uh I'm actually getting ready to I know we're we're doing this call a little bit earlier than b- before, so I'm actually after this call, I'm gonna jump in Starbucks for a little while, work on some stuff, and then go get a workout in, kind of have a, a chill Sunday leading into the week. Uh, you mentioned that you have some stuff going on with uh, with the biz, uh, putting out fires. Is that from is that is that mostly stuff that you had to knock out last week, or are you are you kind of walking into a shitstorm? Um, yeah, I'm a little like I'm walking into a little bit of a shitstorm, but I did handle like a couple big things last week. I had a couple uh, couple people, couple like one dude kind of try and quit. And then one chick that wanted like a raise and renegotiated her payment. Um, so, and they're very important people on my team right now. So I'm relying a lot on them. So it was like just stressful getting that sorted. And then, mm-hmm. um, and then at the end of the week, the dude that's doing like my bookkeeping and like all these financial things that I got set up over the course of the last like two months, uh, he wants to quit. So <laughs> I, uh, need to i did just hear back from him and i got him to like at least agree to stay on till the 16th and uh man it's just it's it's crazy dude it's just we're gearing up to have like a lot of activity and i just realized how much more reliance i am on people than like i thought mm-hmm. than i thought we ever would be as a business um so it's good it's great learnings but it's certainly stressful no i bet everybody it reminds me of uh you know when you kind of like you bang your thumb with a hammer and then you realize how often you use your thumb. Uh, yeah, that's a great, great analogy there. Well, cause it's, it is one of those things, right. Where it's like, obviously, uh, you know, thumbs are important, but you don't think about it normally unless it's not working very well. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah. And all, all those fingers, you know, probably. <laughs> yeah, all of them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I'm, uh, choosing just the thumb but <laughs> well i think the thumb is a, that's a really important one right if you lose your pinky like i think that can be a significant detriment sure yeah uh, dude but you just have to ask a, a former member of the yakuza clan yeah yeah how they like how they dealt with that yeah yeah like what you what you do afterwards you know <laughs> Probably a lot of the same old thing. <laughs> yeah, man. They uh, got a lot of their own fish other fingers. Um, <laughs> cool, dude. Well, yeah, man. We're going to talk about seeking wisdom today. I think the other thing that's good about shit like this is like it. So, one, I do need to. Um, I have also realized that I need to figure out how to de stress my life a little bit. Um, and this is, this is actually like a very grounding thing for me to take a step back and like make sure that I'm still getting like the right, uh, taking a step back and giving my time, myself time to like reflect and, and dive into literature like this, uh, which mm-hmm. is, is really, it's really important, dude. And it's so easy to forget that as well, because you could just easily be like, man, this is not a priority. I'm not going to fucking do this anymore. Um, and just not reach it and then just be like caught in this vicious cycle of, um, just fucking like feeling stressed and busy. And a lot of times when I'm stressed, I'm not even getting shit done. So it's like just anti-productive. Um, it's a really interesting thing, man. But, but yeah, I actually, it did kind of suck this morning, man. I, I cut my workout short. Like, uh, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't finish. So whenever that happens, man, I know that something is like wrong and I need to, I need to fix it. Mm. That's good. I mean, at least you're aware, right? Like that it's, uh, it's something that is conflicting with something that you ultimately value. Do you, um, have you heard of Stephen Covey's time matrix? Um, I'm reading the seven highly effective habits of successful people right now with my team. I'm actually not reading it. I've already read it, but I'm, uh, I have my team, uh, reading that. Is that, is that in that book? It's a good question. I'm not sure. I always, I always think about one is sharpen the saw, which I think is actually the seventh habit. But the other thing is, it's a good question. I don't know if it is in that book or not, but uh, it basically is 
uh, four quadrants, and on the on the y-axis on the top, it's important, and then on the lower portion of the of the y-axis, it's not important, and on the bottom, it's urgent or not urgent. And so the idea is that we most of us spend most of our time in the important and urgent quadrant but his argument is yeah we have to take care of that stuff but we really want to spend most of our time in the non-urgent important section mm, and yeah. a lot of times people will a lot of times people will associate urgent and important as if they are similar um they can overlap but they're they're not obviously they're not the same thing it's, it's just the urgency i think triggers something in us that makes us feel like it's more valuable for some reason um and it might be some of that fomo type stuff um but you know the phone is ringing do we need to answer it you know i don't even answer my phone anymore i mean unless obviously if unless i know who it is and i, I need to talk to them um, Isn't that weird? yeah that's like the phone i think phone calls is like not even a not even an effective way to get a hold of someone now <laughs> I feel like it's sometimes I, I get this feeling like it's rude almost. And it's obviously not but like, <laughs> like who the f- you calling me? Like, <laughs> did you just fucking, did, did you not text me first? Like right. just, just like what, why did you just actually call me? It is. It's like disruptive. It's fun. <laughs> who doesn't text to ask if they can call? <laughs> like, Hey, you free now. Okay, cool. I just granted you permission. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. And I, I'm kidding, but it also is very effective, you know, because it's like, all right, well, let's, once we have, like, if we don't use the technology in a way that actually benefits us, then what the hell are we doing? You know, like, let's, let's, uh, let's think this thing through. That's right, man. Um, I did just think about that, though. Actually, I have seen that quadrant. Um, there's a book called The Five Choices. It's written by, like, the, the Franklin Covey Foundation or whatever. So it's like his, mm. he has like a, like it's his company that puts out like fucking mad shit on productivity. Um, yeah, I think he passed away, but I think his son is still running with it. Yeah. So it's a newer, it's a newer one and it's, it's great. It's called five choices and it has the quadrant and it, it divides them into Q1, Q2, Q3 and Q4 time. Q2 quadrant is like the stuff that you were talking about. The good stuff. Yeah. Q1 is like emergencies. Um, Q3 is like, um, like, uh, like stuff that might need to get done, but definitely like more gravel, like stuff that's not urgent. Um, and then um, Q4 is like just pure time waster. But the interesting right. thing is there's, there's things that actually are productive from each one of those quadrants. Um, but the way that you organize your time around like how you attack those things is really important. So anyway, man, yeah, I definitely have an issue with that a lot of times. Um, and just, yeah, I don't know, man. Also, like, as my business gets bigger, it's just it's just inevitably fucking stressful. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that there's got to be, like, specific critical growing pain, uh, you know, phases where you might even reach a, a moment or a phase of what seems like stasis. But then, you know, inevitably you're going to grow um, or, or, you know, so, something needs to shift. And I think from there, that's when you start to feel, okay, this is a, a whole new area where we need to connect different dots. That's right. Cool, dude. Well, uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about how our brain works? You know, um, I do. Well, and, uh, we can jump into that. Yeah. Seeing as, uh, this guy, Peter Bevelin thought it was a good idea to start there. I think we should start there. I think so, man. Um, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to finish this recording so we can have a nice little, uh, divide between, uh, extraneous and, uh, uh, I guess, you know, useful conversation <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and go from there. Sounds good. All right. I'll ring you right back in. All right, man. Hey, Tommy. Billy. How's it going? We are back, my back. friend. Yeah. Welcome, everyone, to Billy Cassano and Tommy Joyner show. Yo. That's our catchphrase. Just, yo. Yo. <laughs> Maybe we'll come up with something better than that. Yeah, that works good, though. All right, man. Cool, dude. So we're going to go into uh, the first couple parts of this book. 
called Seeking Wisdom uh, from Darwin to Munger by this dude named Peter Bedley. And, uh, and it's good. The first part, honestly, man, it's, uh, it, it's great. Um, it's a little like, I'm glad we only read a little bit because it's like pretty dense. I felt yeah. like I was reading, I felt like I was reading something that, I mean, you have to come with a lot of fresh energy to even get through those first like 21 pages. Um, cause it gets pretty boring after that. Yeah. And I have, it's been a long time, but I've read, um, it looks like I've read into chapter or I don't know what chapter this is, but page 85, the last time I went through this and I don't know why I put it down because it really is very good. Um, but each section kind of has its own structure and difficult level. And I think it starts to get um, a little bit easier to read after, after the first part, but you know, he, he kind of talks about the books called seeking wisdom from Darwin to Munger. This guy's name is Peter Bevelin. And I, I do like the fact that he starts where he starts because it comes down to like, let's start from the very most foundational point, which is our, essentially our anatomy. Um, was there anything, I mean, I don't know, like how long has it been since you've read this kind of stuff? I mean, it's been like high school, right? Or, 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 or have you read anything other than, other than this that kind of gives you a little bit of a, a mind map for how the brain works? Um, I've read a, a couple of like, uh, like, uh, uh, like psychology books based around economics. What's the term for like psychological economics? What they actually made that like a, a discipline, didn't they? Um, behavioral economics. I've read, yeah. I've read a couple of like behavioral economics type books, which like break this down at the very beginning because all that's based on neuroscience and like how the brain works in terms of decision-making. So uh, all related, but yeah, it's, it's been a while, man. Maybe I probably, I probably dove into one of those like pretty heavily, like four years ago, probably, but hasn't, uh, hasn't come back up. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it's something, it's an area of interest for me and I know I have read some material, but just even reading through this makes me realize how much I don't know about it. Um, and obviously we're talking about the most complex thing known to mankind which is the human brain um but at the same time it's something that it's so vitally important right i mean it's it's the only thing we can use to actually analyze our own mind anyway (laughs) is our own mind right it's 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 pretty it's kind of a, a bizarre thing to actually wrap your head around um but it's uh i thought it was really interesting to think about um well, I don't want to jump ahead here, but the the idea of when he, he got into um, I am jumping ahead here, but he, he talks about genes and how uh, basically they are triggered by environment. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's just all the stuff that we hear about, um, like the, the positive psychology type stuff, the self-development. A lot of it comes down to the power of your thoughts. And it's so intriguing to me to, to look at it on this like almost uh, physiological level that if our genes uh, depend on environmental condition, then, you know, our thoughts themselves are constructing an environment. I mean, that's kind of like we're inside the, our thoughts in that moment. Not to say that our thoughts define us necessarily. But in that moment, that's the experience that we're going through. Um, it's just another um, it's, it's a, another argument for what we talked about in the last call we just had for understanding our priorities and making sure we're doing the upfront work that we know, such as meditation, that allows us to have a, a, a firm, a much more firm handle on on what we think about. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's uh that's a that's a good point. Um, lots to uh, go into there, but at the beginning, I mean, he talks about so so yeah. So there's like uh, it's incredibly complex, right? The brain. So mm-hmm. it's uh, back to your point about how it's you know very difficult to wrap your head around. You know, the ironic the ironic thing is that our heads already wrapped around it. You know, but mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but um, uh, he starts out just by talking about like the uh, the 
the basic complexity of the brain in terms of our anatomy and like how it's actually wired. So uh, back to your point, like there's a, there's a ton of different things that we don't understand about the brain still, uh, but we do understand that it's incredibly complex. Um, I think he, there's, a, there's a part here that says the brain is composed of at least 100 billion ner nerve cells and neurons. And then there's another part that says if you attempted to count the number of connections, one per second in the mantle of our brain, the cerebral cortex, you would finish counting 32 million years later. Uh, <laughs> so, so it is incredibly complex, but what we do understand about it is that there are these basic ways that our brain is wired to think that aren't necessarily in our best interest unless we really unpack how it's working and basically combat some of the ways that we're essentially wired to think by default, I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, it says somewhere that, uh, um, basically that our brain is a product of evolution and, you know, if you think of it in terms of evolution, you, you look at it in terms of literally passing on genes. Um, I think that, though we I think most of us would consider that an important aspect to life or at least a, an important thing to consider there's more to it right I, I think you know or at least I, I believe that most people think that there's more to it right and, and if that's the case then we can't rely just on the factory uh, you know as is out of the box brain that we have we have to I think take hold of all the different experiences that we have at our disposal and, uh, and kind of go at it and how you do that is, is a whole other thing. And, and I don't know that anyone necessarily has the answer, but I think a lot of people have some very good ideas around that. Yeah. Well, I think they do have some answers for certain things like, um, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of like unhappy people that could, uh, use some of these tactics to, like lead much more fulfilled and happy lives. Like there's a couple of like basic tweaks that you can make, which this doesn't necessarily get into, but you have to like understand how things work in order to understand like why your brain's working the way that it is to uh, make those decisions that lead to uh, basically it comes down to like more film and more happiness. Because even though it's like related to investment from Munger's perspective, investment from like how Munger analyzes things, mm -hmm. all that's, all that's intertwined into like what makes what makes a good life, right? Like what right. makes a good good investment, in his opinion, is like you know it's the same thing as the foundation that makes a good life. Well, and I think that's a very good point. I I don't I, I don't want to put words in Munger's mouth, but for me, I like to look at investments in that way where it's not just monetary. It's, it's literally, you know, the sacrifice I'm taking today, is it going to give me a better ROI in terms of, you know, joy, in terms of relationships, in terms of, you know, most of the things that are, are, are less tangible than, you know, it's pretty easy. M money's not, not necessarily easy to earn, but it's easy to count. But the, the relationships that we have and these experiences aren't easy. You can't put a number to them necessarily. I mean, you know it when you feel it, but but those are the kind of things that I think are, are super valuable and, and the things that we should strive to understand when we're thinking about better investments. Um, if that way of thinking actually appeals to you, it does personally to me. I know some of my really good friends that, that would bother them to think in that way. They would much rather have a, um, I don't know, maybe a more mystical experience or something like that. But for me, I like taking it down to a scientific level. I like thinking about investments. Um, and then if it gets to the area of mystical and it can be explained by the way of some kind of hard science or, or even like a, an applied science, it makes it that much more interesting to me. For sure. For sure. Um, it's interesting that you said that because going back to the first part of the book here for a second, a second it's like he, he starts out by exp explaining like the biochemistry of the brain. He talks a lot about like neuro... Uh, neurons, neurotransmitters, talks a little bit about dopamine and serotonin, uh, some of the things that make us feel uh, happy. Um, and then he talks about like some of the things that we do nowadays to treat some of those systems, those symptoms with like antidepressants. Uh, he brings up that example because it's related to some of the chemicals that are actually in your brain. Mm -hmm. And then he goes to talk about like, uh, you know, the fact that genes 
actually control your 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 brain chemistry, but they're turned on and off by the environment, which I thought was interesting. Um, because essentially what that means is that you're predisposed to have certain like types of, uh, of, I guess, ways of thinking. But like even before that, it's mostly like you're predisposed to have like different types of DNA in your brain that are part of your genetic makeup um, that will cause you to think or react in a certain way or have like certain characteristics uh, in terms of obviously like what your body looks like. Uh, with blue eyes, brown eyes, or whatever, but also in the ways that uh, that you think and that you react to things. But your environment has a lot to do with bringing those out of you. Yeah. Yeah, your environment does. And then also, I think one thing we might have glossed over, but I think the main reason why he starts here, the name of this chapter is Our Anatomy Sets the Limits for Our Behavior. And then from there, our anatomy interacting with the environment goes to your point where these genes can be turned off and on. And it's a very complex mix of chemicals being fired, received, um, you know, and then and then affecting throughout from the brain all the way through the body. Um, and so I think I don't think that he really stressed this. But to me, you know, I guess he really does, though. He says that the, our anatomy sets the limits. I think that a lot of times we don't like to think in that way, right? We don't like to think that we're limited in any way. Um, it's, it's uncomfortable to think that. But I, I, if we look at ourselves as uh, a process, we're going to be going through periods in life where we're more capable um, at, at some times than others. And there's going to be things that we just literally can't do. I mean, and that's it's, – it sounds like a – even saying that, I'm sure that some people would, you know, be like, oh, I don't like to think that way. You know, I want to think that I can do anything. Well, that's that's cool. But like I, I almost feel like it's more of a um, more empowering to be realistic with understanding that um, like we should strive to to get all the way up to that point of our limitation, like all the way to the point of our full capacity just to find out where we really are. How, where is the limit? You know? Yeah, that's a really good point, man. I mean, like he talks about, like the first thing that he says in the beginning of this chapter is why can't we fly? Um, so he talks about the fact that, like, you know, like humans. Actually, he uses the example of a bird. There's, even, there's birds that can't fly if their bone's not connected to the right part of, like, their wing joint or whatever. Um, and they're genetically predisposed to not be able to fly. Obviously, humans can't fly because we're genetically just not able to do so with our bodies. Um, in the same way that chimpanzees can't speak because of the way that their vocal cords are set up and don't work to provide the same amount of speech that we have. So they're limited. So when you have these constraints, it's actually, that, I think that can actually be like a very, um, uh, it can allow you to, it can be very like relieving. It can allow you to kind of rest easy, right? Like you, you're, you're in this box and like this is, this is what you got. Like you can only, you can only operate within these limitations and that maybe, maybe some people could get upset about that, but you know, I don't think most humans are freaking out about the fact that they can't grow wings. <laughs> yeah. I've thought about it, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good point. And that's not to say that we can't change. Obviously um, we do have a capacity for change and uh, adaptation, of course. Huge. Yeah. But then the other thing that he says that's interesting, which you were kind of getting to uh, as well, is like a lot of humans like to put things into like a neat little box. Like one of our, I think one of our uh, predispositions that we have as humans in terms of the way that we think and like we want to categorize and organize everything in a lot of ways that makes sense to us. And he uses the example between Isaac Newton and Charles Darwin. And he talks about the fact um, that like Isaac Newton would have liked a neat view of biological systems made up of dedicated components, for example, like the left and right brain, because uh, he basically busts a myth here. You'll hear like left and right brain uh, type conversation. And apparently that's not true because no matter what side of the brain things originate on, like the entire brain is used throughout the, um, the, the processing of those thoughts or whatever, um, which is interesting. And he talks about how Darwin is like okay with like a little bit more chaos and and understanding that he doesn't understand a lot of it and that it's like far more complex than just uh, right and left brain brained. Uh, so anyway, I was 
I brought that up because you you made me think of it, but now I'm losing my train of thought as to what point that actually made. Well, if while you're trying to find that thought, let me let me ask you this, which will probably uh, not help you find that thought. But did you gather from that reading though that some people still can be left-brained or right-brained? It's just that it's kind of the wrong nomenclature, if that's the right word, where it's not necessarily on the right side of the brain. You might be more creative or whichever is which, I forgot, I think maybe left brain is more creative, or you might be more rational, um, but it doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're strong literally on one side of the brain versus the other. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's a good point. So like, I mean, uh, that's just a way to like phrase it so that we can understand the difference. Right. Um, but I think, I think a lot of people actually do think that and left brain would be like more analytical uh, and right brain would be like more creative. But um, what I got from that is, is your genes determine that, not the side of your brain <laughs> that, you, that you use. So like your genes are, are part of your traits that are innate to who you are. And that's really what determines like which, which of those things that you're, uh, that you're more apt to, uh, to be good at, I guess. Right. Um, but then, okay, so I'm going to read, I want to read this one section here because um, this was something that I thought was very interesting. The, he poses the question here, do our genes have a life of their own? His response is no. Mm. No. Gene expression depends on environmental conditions. Genes control the chemistry in the brain, but need to be activated by the environment. An environmental right. event must switch them on or modify their level of activity before they can start making proteins that influence neural connections. Our genes determine if we inherit, inherit a particular characteristic, but it is the environment that causes our genes to make proteins that produce certain, quote, response tendencies. So our behavior emerges from the mutually dependent activity of genetic and environmental factors. That I mean that that's just like I, I don't know what it is about that uh, that whole paragraph that just kind of it it, it didn't it, it hit me in a way that was just like uh, it kind of surprised me that he would be that specific about how how important or how influential our environment is, which also makes a lot of sense at the same time. Because you can control that to like to an extent. To an extent, right. Like there's some things that you're born with and like, you know, places you grew up and parents that you have that you can't always choose. But as you get older, you can also change that. And maybe that's part of the reason why people do go through like transformations later in life and they like really become themselves or kind of find themselves because their environment is what was restricting the ability to like really allow those normal traits that they're, that they're born with to, to shine I think that's, uh, I mean, that's got to be the case, right? I mean, it's, uh, and it's interesting too, right? Because the environment, and I wonder what, what this guy would say about this, but the, uh, the environment is one aspect of it, but our perception of it is, is probably really what the, the, the trigger, you know? So I think even if you stay in one location, um, but you interpret your environment differently, I mean, that's, that's just as good as being somewhere else in my estimation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and here's, uh, here's yeah. one thing, the next, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but the next, the next line here says the brain changes continually as a result of our experiences. Experiences produce physical changes in the brain, either through a new neural con through new neural connections or through the generation of new neurons. Studies suggest that the brain can change even during the course of a day. Yeah, that's awesome as well, because he goes on to say experiences are the reason that all individuals are unique, which I think is the most important sentence of that entire three paragraph mm -hmm. thing, um, because that's that's interesting. It's also like really cool because it's like, man, I don't know. I mean, it instantly like made me value experiences more good or bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Well, it's also interesting, too, where you can, you know, like if you think about it, I think it makes people unique, but it also has an interesting thing. Like, you know, if, if I go to Spain um, and I meet up with someone from California that's somewhere around my age group, we'll have a lot more in common just because we've gone through a lot of pop culture, a lot of the same, you know, experiences on a macro level, you know, a lot of inside jokes through movie lines and all these things. Um, to me, that's just like a fascinating thing to then think about, okay, well, it, being in Spain or wherever you might be, those groups of people and then subgroups within them have had so many different experiences off that path that, um, that I think that that's the power of travel, right? Like you, you see people who have had so many different experiences, just interacting with them, you get like a small dose of that from them, uh, by way of, of dialogue. Right. So, and what do you think about this? Because the, there's a quote here by Marcus Aurelius, who is a great Stoic philosopher. Love that quote. It says, our life is what our thoughts make it. <clears throat> so, do you think that it's too far-fetched? I don't think that he says it specifically in here, but I mean, our thoughts are an experience, right? Or, or is that, do you, or do you think that's too... Um, is that too? Um, I'm not sure. Like, is that is that over the top to 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 say that so um, so blatantly that what we think about is an experience? I think that's got to be true, right? Well, I think about. I think it's more like what we think about creates your experience of that situation, like whatever that like whatever that situation is, right? So, like, um, like. And that can that can greatly be affected by like actual bio. Because you don't understand how you can actually hack some of this stuff as well, right? But mm. some of it you can't like you can't control. But for example, he talks about like if you're eating chocolate, listening to great music, and feeling relaxed, um, uh, you have like a good state of mind. So like how you're going to react to something when you're in that state of mind um, is is obviously better than if you were like cold, feeling stressed and just ate a shitty meal. Um, <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna make, you're just gonna make like totally different judgments and you're probably gonna be a totally different person in both of those cases. So, um, so yeah, like our thoughts, because you're thinking about all of these, all of these wonderful things. Um, and then that like creates your experience, which in turn creates your life. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, this this next line here, he, he says, "It's not just what happens to us that counts; it's what we think happens to us." Yeah, that's the other one that's really interesting because it talks about a lot of placebo placebo effects. Yeah, which is huge. I mean, that's the other side of it, right? You know, there's limitations to our anatomy, but there are things that are in our control. And it's what we think about. It's what we believe. And he even stresses that, um, you know, our beliefs have uh, biological consequences, both good and bad. And if you if you fully believe something bad is going to happen, um, it's it's almost as if your body will oblige. You know, like if you think something great is going to happen, um, you know, and this is this is not. The, the the what is it called uh the law of attraction necessarily this is like much more on a level of and maybe maybe that is a, a component of it but it really comes down to that belief will trigger these genes to be activated to interact with your body in a way that will kind of produce that that belief it's like a, a full circle thing which sounds very much like the law of attraction but i feel like it's much more like biological yeah, but it's also like it just goes to show that thoughts become things like in in any sort of way, right? So like we have the ability to manipulate like um, atoms. Uh, we have the ability the ability to manipulate things at like an atomic and molecular level that then ultimately become like part of our reality, whether or not that's like achieving a certain goal or even like causing your own death by heart attack. Um, and that's just like, that's just real shit. Like the placebo, the placebo, there's a reason why they, 
run tests with placebos and then like why they see they see results with placebos with people just like thinking that they're getting better like that's how powerful it is i mean there's no real no better proof than that um that translates to either one of those things so yeah it can be you know a little woo woo to some people but like if you really break it down it's just uh it's it's not that it's not that difficult to understand i think what's difficult is getting yourself to think the right thoughts <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, I think, Earl Nightingale. He's got this great YouTube. Uh, well, actually, I mean, he didn't put it on YouTube. It was a, uh, I think it was a record way back in the day. But he talks about the strangest secret, which is we become what we think about. And, you know, it's, um, it takes time, obviously, but, but it's going to happen almost either way. And shitty thoughts all day long. Um, and then you continue that over weeks and months and years. You'll, you'll look around and, and that's going to be, you know, you can probably almost like look around. Everyone could assess their own life and just kind of look at the areas that they're neglecting or, or thriving in and, and kind of kind of think, do like a quick assessment of like, well, how are you thinking about those areas? And it's probably you'll probably gain some insights. Um, you know, that's that's just uh, but then. OK, so this other, the other aspect and this is something that I kind of got tripped up on a while back. Uh, Jacob Sokol, who we both know. Uh, he's the, the, the CEO or the founder of Sensify. Um, I don't know if we've already mentioned him on here or not, but essentially he's, he's got a great uh, mindset for anyone that's into entrepreneurship and um, in personal development. But he was talking about how like you are not your thoughts, which yeah. I also agree with. Right. And then I remember talking to him and asking him like, well, how do you kind of reconcile the two if, we become what we think about, but we are not our thoughts. You know, how, how do you reconcile those two thoughts? And, um, and really it's, it, it kind of is that, that fine line where it's, it's almost a, an, uh, a way to kind of forgive a thought knowing that it's not you, but at the same time, take special care of what you think about because you know, over time it will have a longer term effect. Yeah, that's an interesting one, man, because I think like you just have to, I think, I think the, the point there, like, in my opinion, would be like, I mean, if you are having shitty thoughts about like who you are, and like your worth in the world, then you actually do like you, you actually are in that place, like you actually are worth what you think about. Like the, the, the point there that I think him and like a lot of other kind of like life coaches try to make is that that you could change that um like you're not you you aren't those thoughts because you have to be those thoughts like there's nothing that made those thought made you be those thoughts other than you thinking them so you can change them and be whatever the fuck else you 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 want to be which actually in a lot of cases i think for people that have like low self-esteem and depression um they are like, they do have like traits that they're actually suppressing probably by, um, by thinking that way. So they're not actually, they're actually not like in alignment. I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there, but that's, uh, that, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There is a lot to unpack there. And it made me think too, like if you're having shitty thoughts and feeling you're a shitty person, you could be a shitty person. And, and like, and I'm not, you know, I'm not even trying to make a joke. I'm, I mean, like legit, like it, I think that might be even like a built in mechanism that if you're starting to feel like shit, you might be doing shitty things. Like you might be maybe not treating yourself or, or people that you care about or other people kindly. Uh, you know, you might not be striving for the things that you deep down know that you want to do um, and neglecting certain aspects that would would really benefit you by having that self-expression. Um so I, I think that I think it's a very dynamic situation. I think that it maybe could, could could be worked at by on two levels. One, by really actively paying attention to our thoughts, and that's where I think meditation comes in handy. Uh, understanding what's what's the pattern, like what's the kind of the pattern that you go through, uh, the kind of thoughts that are conjured up, just like on a day to day basis. What are the thoughts that would be beneficial? What would be a more empowering interpretation that would allow you to have more constructive thoughts? And then also kind of like are, are you living in a way that's um that that makes it uh that makes you worthy 
of these positive thoughts. I think all those things kind of in tandem, easier said than done, but I think all those, those uh, activities in tandem could really produce some, some, uh, some fantastic results. Definitely, man. Definitely. Man, that's all good stuff there. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to segue into this next part, to be honest with you, because like that's that basically wraps up like the first part of the section. Or was there anything else that you were talking about that uh, that you wanted to mention in terms of like our expectations and influence? The last part was like the placebo, and then gets into evolution, um, and evolution selected the connections that produce useful behavior for su- survival and reproduction. Uh, which is interesting. I think it's also important to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I mean, it it is important, I think, uh, especially because of the fact that, um, you know, because of the fact that he talks about how our brain um, is a product of evolution. And, and this whole book seems to, I mean, at least in the beginning, it's really talking about like, why do we behave the way we do? And if you don't start with the limitations or at least the, 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 the structure of your anatomy and then go into the evolutionary aspects of things, you're ignoring a big aspect for how, why we behave the way we do. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think like the biggest thing out of it is like, this really highlights, like, I think the reason why he puts this right where he does is it's important to understand because it demonstrates how um, it demonstrates how strongly influenced our genes are by their environment that like actually makes them be whatever they are. Right. Like he gives a couple of examples of uh, he gives a lot of examples about like different species. And he talks about like three of Darwin's like main observations Um about evolution, uh, which are really interesting. And actually, I'll say those. It's competition and environmental change uh, is number one. Number two is individual variability. And then number three is the world is not fixed, but evolving. Um, Species change, new ones arrive, and others go extinct. Um, So that's that's awesome. Um, But then he talks about, like, an example of spiders uh, where they reproduce and certain genes um, go on to uh, be passed down. Um, a lot of it has to do with, uh, with the environment in terms of like how things evolve. I guess is like the, is is the main point without having to like really dig into to too many more of the, the actual case studies. Yeah, and that that reminds me. I forgot who it was that was on Tim Ferriss's podcast, but he talks about how. You know, it's almost like an opportunity cost where, you know, we could stay in our in our local area and learn the hills very, very well um, and be very capable with this environment. Or we can. Oh, he, he was talking about the stay hungry, stay foolish. And the fool, the foolish aspect was more about randomness. And the idea was that we should be fairly random in that we should explore other lands and understand that terrain and be kind of taken off guard by it because that will allow us to adapt to a different skill set, a different environment. And we won't run up against a situation where we've never encountered something like that in the future, or at least it will be, make us better equipped to, um, to, to encounter something maybe a little bit more unexpected. Definitely. You know, if you just, if you just, uh, Actually, like the reverse of the TLC song, you know, go go chasing waterfalls. Except when it's a metaphor for HIV. Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. Oh. What the fuck? <laughs> you said that like, every, does everybody know that? I think a lot of people know that. Oh, man. <laughs> it should come with like a, <laughs> it should come with like a separate guide for people like me. <laughs> yeah man you need to you need to get back on that dude but uh yeah lots of cool stuff he talks about the cockroach what do you think about that which part she talks about the cockroach as something that basically was it hasn't like evolved it's like basically the same as it was 325 million years ago and it survived 
because of like how fucking robust uh, it was from the very beginning. So that's also interesting too, is like, you know, God just got that one right. <laughs> like uh, in terms of like the design that something needed to, um, to, to just live forever. Right. Um, yeah. There's actually a quote from another dude in here that says, if there is a God that made all life forms, a particularly rich blessing was bestowed on the roach because it got the best design of all. Right. Uh, Which is interesting, right? Because it's, it's, uh, it's, um, it's a rich blessing for the species itself, but who the fuck wants to be a cockroach? <laughs> yeah. Unless you're a cockroach, man. Yeah. Maybe they're just like killing it and just really enjoying it. I don't know. This and this goes back to there's another quote here that goes back to the whole environment aspect. Um, characteristics that are successful in one environment may not be uh, may be unsuccessful in another. Um, quote: Even if fishes, I never even, I don't know why it's fishes, but even if fishes hone their adaptations to peak to peaks of aquatic perfection, they will all die if the ponds dry up. It's just like, you know, I, I like how much he goes back to the environment and how important it is. And I think it really is a testament to understanding that something he mentioned earlier on that we didn't really speak to is that you have to, you can't just talk about the brain. You have to include the body as a holistic view of things. But then on top of that, you can't just talk about the individual. You have to talk about the environment as well as an entire holistic view of things, because it is that we depend on our surroundings we we obviously i mean we we depend on our environments um not to get into like thermodynamics but in terms of open systems of exchanging energy we need that to survive and when we stop doing that on an economic level when you talk about protectionism where i think back in the day like i think it might still be going on where argentina would tax very high um on electronics and then not allow you to to convert your pesos into dollars like all these things that are kind of trying to force domestic purchases that works for a while probably right because you increase sales internally but you're not cultivating a a wider view of a, of a macro global economy and trying to figure out where you actually have a comparative advantage um and not, not to go too deep into that and i know that trump just uh announced tariffs on aluminum and steel which is a similar thing he's claiming obviously that uh there's already foul play. So he, that's his, his countermeasure. But I think overall though, like it's a, it's a good analogy, even for, for us, you know, we have to make sure that we are interacting with our environment and learning new things as they unfold. Mm. Um, yes. Bravo. I think those are good thoughts, bro. Yeah, thanks. Um, no worries. Here, here's, yeah. here's something though too is the. Uh, this is something that I had I had bracketed out the last time I went through this book, um, and I wrote next to it, "Deep time." It says often a new trait or a change in an individual doesn't occur through a single step, but through a gradual uh, accumulation of small mutations being selected over a long period of time. By dating meteorites, most scientists say that the Earth is about 4.6 billion years old. The oldest bacteria fossils go back 3.5 billion years. Given enough variation and time, even such a complicated thing as the eye has gradually developed. I mean, that's like, I love to think about how, I mean, going back to what we talked about before, like we take, we take things for granted, you know, and just the fact that we can see is because of how complex the eye is and, and what it's processing and what it's doing at any given moment. It's not something we have to have to really think about, but it's happening, you know? Oh yeah, dude. Definitely. It's crazy. Um, so oldest bacteria fossils go back 3.5 billion years. I think what the, the, the known universe is estimated to be like 13 something, 13.9 billion years old or something. Yeah. These things take pretty, time. It's pretty, pretty old, man. Yeah. Unless remember that documentary that we watched where like it, it's the big bang was just a, a set of bangs. 
and all the other bangs just collapsed in on themselves until the Big Bang was so uh, ferocious that it actually split apart into the universe that we know. And if that's true, then the universe's age could be like infinite. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably more likely. I think they're like they're kind of. I mean that that makes me think like based on based on what I know or on you know what I know based on the documentary <laughs> yeah. I have watched and and my opinion. Um, it seems to me that the infinite makes more sense than uh, like thirteen billion years uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, me too makes me feel uh makes me feel good makes you feel infinite yeah exactly uh, yeah man and then like uh he goes into talking about like one of the next sections here is uh through the end of evolution is called guidance through values and life experiences um which just gets more into um why why evolution is important to talk about in this section in terms of uh, how we ultimately end up making decisions, which is what he's going to get to later in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, some different mental models that he's evaluated of both Darwin and Munger uh, and maybe some of his own, which will be cool because I he's clearly a bright dude. So he's probably got some interesting thoughts about these things that are um, going to be cool to, to dive into. But um the quote from Epicurus is uh, human beings are pulled forward toward and by nature seek pleasure, whereas they flee from and reject pain. Mm. Uh, like as based on like how our brains work and how we evolved to get there, um, like research generally shows that we feel more pain from losing than we feel pre- pleasure from gaining something equal value and that we work harder to avoid losing than we do to win which is interesting and you know uh i think that that right there probably sums up why most people a a big reason why most people make bad choices like there's you know people think that risky but most like 99 percent of people are not at all risky enough yeah, exactly. And it, it speaks to evolutionary aspects, right? Where, you know, let's, let's do the thing that makes us survive. And if we're alive right now, that means everything we've done so far didn't kill us. So let's just keep doing that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, man. Um, I was going to say, oh, this, this guy, Steven Pinker, he was just on Joe Rogan's podcast fairly recently. And I thought it was damn good. Um, and his quote here, as things get better, increases in fitness show diminishing returns. More food is better, but only up to a point. But as things get worse, decreases in fitness can take you out of the game. Not enough food and you're dead. Um, I just, I, I'm so drawn to those aspects where, you know, it's not just more is better. There's more to it. Right. And I feel like people, it's, it's easier to assume more is better. But it's harder to really think about what's the minimum effective dose, like the, the, the effective dose of the thing that I'm going after, whether it be money, whether it be um, physical fitness or, or, or partying or, you know, reading or writing, you know, like I, I find benefit in writing. And then there'll, there'll be times where I feel like, oh, I've been kind of secluding myself for so long that I just crave social interaction, you know, or vice versa, right? Like I'm. Um, so I've, I've hit that, that social, um, nerve so often that now I almost feel like I've, um, I've neglected a component of what I see valuable, which would be to sit down and either journal or do research and kind of think through what I consider to be hard problems. Um, from my standpoint, obviously like my hard problems could be someone else's fairly easy problems, but you know, we're all working with a different, uh, set of tools and, uh, and I think that kind of alludes to what you talked about earlier um, with just kind of balancing or, or at least trying to reach some kind of harmony with uh, a lot of the stuff that you're doing with business. Um, do you, do you feel like there are, as you grow your business, do you feel like there are um, 
it almost seems like, do you feel like you're orchestrating almost like a symphony where you're trying to uh, constantly figure out like what's the best rhythm to, to stay in? Or is that like a really terrible analogy? No, that's a great analogy. I mean, it's more relevant now that I have like a lot of other people working for me um, and I'm building a team, right? Um, before, I wasn't really like that. I think what makes me uncomfortable now is that I can't fit, I can't possibly, I can't actually physically go through every part of the business as in depth as I want to and like have everything kind of like buttoned up and organized. So I'm like having to get used to living in more chaos. Mm. And that's un that's like a bit uncomforting like it's it's uncomfortable because it's like it freaks me out a little bit right there are certain things that are like really important and i'm like man what if what if i'm making the wrong decision here and like what if um, the thing that i'm not spending time on is actually the thing that's getting neglected so you have to find like an efficient way to actually uh like evaluate compile and digest the information in terms of what's happening in every portion of your business and at the same time you have to figure out how to tap into shit like this and motivate people and like um, <laughs> get them from doing anything doing anything yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense I mean it's just uh, I feel like going back through the experiences i think that this is going to give you you and uh, tg such a, a very unique uh and and your whole team you know like a, a unique experience of of you know overcoming different obstacles and and all these different aspects that i think uh, many people including myself aren't aren't going to be able to experience uh, at least not right now which is uh which is great i, I think it's just such a um an empowering experience for you Tommy, did you drop off or did you hang up on me? I won't be offended either way. Just be honest. Hey, Tommy. Cassano. We're back. Hey, man. Yeah, sorry. I think Technical maybe difficulties, you know? Said, said, hey, enough. Enough with these guys. Well, what do you um, think, man? I feel like that the, that middle recording was a decent uh, length of time. I feel like this material is very difficult, but very uh, interesting and essential for diving into uh, what this guy, Peter Pevelin, talks about, seeking wisdom. But I think first, really trying to understand how our um, how and why we, we behave the way we do. Yeah, definitely not. Man, I think uh, overall, it's... Uh, it's super cool. I'm I'm actually really excited to continue to to dive into this as well. So yeah, me too. Um, me too. I think as we go, it's going to become more relevant to like some of the stuff that we really want to dive into. But I mean, you know, got to start with the spinach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Before we get into the uh, the uh, pumpkin pie or whatever. Yeah, um, no, man. I'm talking about chocolate chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. Uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I man, I used to have this thing with cheesecake, um, and I don't know. Like one day, I was just like, I was like a little kid, and I remember thinking, like, this probably isn't good for me. <laughs> but I I ate it like all the time. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you do remember thinking like this probably isn't good for me. Well, yeah, and I think, I think I just started to realize it made me feel like shit. Like it was like that 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 moment of mouth joy. That was just like, oh, yeah, I'm eating this thing that's, like, so good. And then, like, I would just feel terrible for, like, you know, hours. Um, but I don't think at first I realized it. And then eventually it's just like, you know, I'm, like, 11-year-old. Like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> oh, man. I would love to see, like, uh, a bewildered 11-year-old you going through that thought <laughs> process, man. Just, like, swinging on a swing barely kicking my feet just thinking about it like man i feel like shit why <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eat all that cheesecake man i hate a whole cake but uh yeah man i don't know what you think i think i think this might even be a good spot to kind of call it quits for today and, and and ramp up for for next week the next um 
I don't know what, unless there's something else that you wanted to um, specifically talk about. No, I agree, man. Let's do it. And uh, let's crush, man. Uh, yeah, we got the whole week now. We've got like a little bit more of a foundation and a good good piece of material to keep diving into, which I think will actually make it easier to to stay on on top of things in terms of connecting. And, and we'll go from there. Yeah, that sounds good. And uh, just to give a heads up uh, for anyone who's interested, the next part uh, or the next chapter within part one is adaptive behavior for survival and reproduction. Yeah. Um, and one thing I guess we didn't really talk about was there's four parts to this whole book. First part is called What Influences Our Thinking. Part two is The Psychology of Misjudgments. Part three, The Physics and Mathematics of Misjudgments. And part four, Guidelines to Better Thinking. So I like the progression. I think a lot of these topics are going to be very uh, relevant for anyone that wants to make better decisions. And uh, I'm excited. Yeah, man. Here's the here's the good decisions. You know, let's uh, yeah. let's flip the script on that, man. Bad decisions yeah. are overrated. Yeah, man. People, I I keep hearing like, oh, let's go make some bad decisions. No, bro. Let's, yeah, fuck you. It's not. Yeah. How about, that? How about that? Yeah. All right, man. Sounds good. And uh, let's uh, let's do it again next week. Yes, sir. Enjoy the rest of your day, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See, you, man. You too. Bye.